Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. Christianity 101, if you look at the subtitle of that series, it says, What You Need to Know to Succeed the Test of Life. One of the things we need to know is how to listen. We need to learn how to listen to the Word. We need to learn how to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We need to learn how to listen and discern between truth and error, or truth that is tinted and tainted with error and half-truths. We've talked in this series about the authority of the Bible, and we've talked about the sufficiency of Scripture, but I want us to talk today in a very practical way, really about how do you listen to a sermon? How do you listen to the Word of God? Because it is very easy to watch a sermon on television or to come to church or to sit in a Bible study class, and and this applies to all of those, or to listen to a preacher on the radio or to sit down to do your personal devotions or to get ready to teach a class, and how do we get ready for that and how do we make the most of it? How do we ensure that Sunday mornings is not a wasted time for us? That there is something that we learn in a way that we apply it to our hearts and to our lives. Now, I've probably used this statement 50 times over the last 15 years, but I want to repeat it. And if you have never written it down, you need to write it down. And I would encourage you to write it down in your Bible. You are responsible not only for what you hear, but for what you would have heard if you had been listening You're responsible, not only for what you hear, but for what you would have heard if you had been listening. It's very easy for us to check out mentally. Uh, We are increasingly bombarded with sound bites and short messages, and so anything that goes longer than 30 seconds, especially for the American male, uh, we're kind of out of it. And if we see or hear anything that distracts us, it takes us several minutes to get back in and to engage. I remember when I first met Layman Strauss, I was intrigued by his Bible because he had uh, printed on the front of his Bible, God's Word for Layman Strauss. My youngest daughter, Haley, got a new Bible this past year, and she went to the bookstore and had printed on it, God's Word for Haley Cat. If we would start listening to and reading and studying and meditating on the Word of God like it is God's Word for us personally, we would listen differently. We would learn more. We would retain more of what we've learned. We wouldn't forget so much. The reason that you have sermon notes in your outline every week is because you forget 90% of what you hear. The more you write down, the more you retain, and the more you remember. In fact, if you write it down and then write it down again, you retain that much more of it. It's phenomenal. In fact, studies show this is frightening for a preacher. 
Studies show that only 28% of the average congregation fully engages their mind during the sermon. 28%. That means that the majority of people are not even thinking. I could sit up here and preach the Communist Manifesto and you wouldn't know it. And you'd probably walk out the back door and say, that's a good message, preacher. That's a good message. And there's a Greek word for you, dummy. (laughs) You need to listen so that in listening you can say, is that the truth? Is God's Word and God's Spirit bearing witness to what is being said? Otherwise, you just kind of let it float along the surface, but something will get planted in you out of context, and you'll misquote, misunderstand. I can't tell you how many times over the course of my ministry, somebody's come to me and said, you remember when you said so-and-so? And I think, I never said that. They got about halfway into the statement, and they started listening. Or I got halfway into the statement, and they quit listening. And they missed the point of what I was trying to say. Why? Because we don't engage our minds. The battle is fought in the mind. Paul tells us to renew our mind. So there are things that we have to do if we're going to engage in a sermon to the point where we can learn the most from it and the most fully from it. What's happened is we are in a society that is dumbing down. I was talking to someone yesterday and about the fact that we're not teaching people how to think. We're teaching people how to regurgitate information in schools. And so nobody knows how to think anymore. Nobody knows how to analyze. Nobody knows how to process anything. Nobody knows how to challenge and debate and and discuss because all we do is we just give rote memory of a few things that we know, but we're not thinkers and we're not learners. And the society that quits thinking and learning will be taken over from the inside not from the outside. We'll collapse from within because we don't want to think. We don't want to learn. And Christianity cannot be reduced to sound bites. You know, there's a church up in the Midwest that uh, has a drive-through sermon. I hope it's at least as long as it takes me to deposit my check. But, you know, as you just drive through, the guy comes to the window and he gives you a little one-minute sermon, and you drive off. We have drive-through funeral homes now. You can just drive through, look at the body, and just keep going. We want everything convenient. We don't want to get out of our cars for anything. We don't want to have to think. There are preachers that are trying to preach 10-minute sermons and only do one a week, and they wonder why their sheep are eating junk food or are malnourished. We have to learn to listen. We have to learn to think. We can no longer play the game of allowing society to say, well, we have shorter attention spans because of the internet, because of technology, because of commercials, because of TV, because of blah, blah, blah. And we've got to start saying, hey, it takes time to learn what God wants us to learn. And we have to invest in it. The Bible is not a book that teaches a performing dog how to do new tricks. The Bible is a book that teaches us how to live a life to the glory of God. And to do that takes focus on our parts. So, I want you to look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Because to be honest with you, worship is not determined by whether or not you raise your hands. 
Worship is not determined by how high you jump. Worship is not determined by whether you close your eyes during a praise song or not. Worship is determined by what you do with the Word of God. Because everything in worship leads to and culminates in a proclamation of the Word of God. And so part of why we sing is to prepare ourselves to get ready for what God wants to say to us. And if all we engage in is that which stirs our emotions and we don't engage in that which challenges our thought process, we're in trouble because our faith will be shallow. James chapter 1 and verse 21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. James was a very practical Christian. Maybe James had been to church enough to find out that everybody wasn't paying attention. Because with James, creed and conduct went together. Belief and behavior, doctrine and duty had to match up. It wasn't enough to believe something, you had to behave like you believed it. It wasn't enough to be able to spout some truth, you had to be able to live that truth out in your life. And so James comes and he sits down to to tell us something, and James is a tough book. It's a hard book to read, because it's very practical. I, I love the story of the old Scotsman who heard somebody in his yard in the middle of the night. And he was a gentleman, and this is what he said. Sir, I would not harm thee for the world, but I am about to shoot where thou standeth. I wouldn't harm you for the world, but on any given Sunday I might shoot where you're standing. And so are you ready to receive what God says? And what God wants to do. James is so practical that he says things that hurt. It's kind of like my dentist who says, open up wide. This is going to sting a little bit. (laughs) And I'm going, ha, 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 ha. None of you have ever been to the dentist? (laughs) None of you ever had a root canal? Hurts a little bit, doesn't it? But it's better than leaving that tooth to decay on its own. A little pain for the moment is helpful for the long haul. When the doctor operates on you, he doesn't say, I'm going to do surgery on you. It's not going to hurt a bit. It's going to hurt. But it hurts to help. And it's okay if it hurts, if it ends up helping. And making things better. And so James is giving us some insights. I want you to look at verse 18 and how he refers to the Word of God. The Word of Truth. Definite article there. Not a Word of Truth, but the Word of Truth. One of the goals in the evangelical community right now is to get Bibles in the hands of every person in the Muslim world. Why? Because they have a a word that they think is the truth, but we have the word that is the truth. And so we want to get Bibles in their hands. He says in verse 21, the word implanted, definite article again. 
This word has life in it. And then in verse 25, it is the perfect law, the law of liberty. Why? Because the author of the word is perfect. Therefore, his word is perfect. So let's look at what the responsibility we have before the sermon. Our responsibility before the sermon. It would be an insult to you for me to walk into this pulpit unprepared. It would be an absolute insult to your intelligence, to your time, to your day, for me to expect you to walk into this place and me not have prepared this week to say something to you. Would you agree with that? And yet there are churches that want their pastor to do everything but prepare to preach. And then he gets up and serves leftovers and half-studied truths, and they say, you know, I'm just not being fed. And one of the reasons you're not being fed is because you're expecting the preacher to be everything in the world except the man who delivers the Word of God. And if a church does not allow a pastor... I'm doing this for people that are watching on television, by the way. If a church does not allow a pastor time to study and prepare the Word, however much of that week it takes for him to do it, that church is ultimately robbing itself. He may pray over your ingrown toenail, but your soul will starve to death if he's not studying the Word of God. It's an insult to the church if the preacher comes unprepared. But by the way, it's an insult to God if the people come unprepared. Uh, You got up and got ready this morning. But did you get ready spiritually for what God wanted to do in your heart today? Did you get ready for what God wanted to say to you? Did you prepare your heart? How much time did you spend today or this week preparing your heart to be ready to receive the Word of God today? See, we have a responsibility for Look at what James says. This is what he says we're supposed to do before we come to church. Putting aside all filthiness. Now, that's a, a term for throwing away a dirty garment or a worn-out garment. He says you put aside all filthiness, worn-out stuff, old stuff, dirty stuff. And that word filthiness is, a, is the ordinary word for sin in the New Testament. It is the most common word for sin in the New Testament, and it could easily translate dirt. That which is dirty in our lives, that which is defiled in our lives. He says we are to put those things away. Why? Because all week long, you've been exposed to humanistic, secular, postmodern thinking and philosophies. All week long, you've had commercials and radio, and announcers, and advertising, and magazines, and articles, and thoughts, and jokes that have come in, and they have tainted you, polluted you, watered your life down in some way, and you need to get your heart cleared out to be ready to hear what God has to say to you. So he says, you put aside all filthiness. The world is a defiling place. You cannot walk through this world without some of this world rubbing off on you. Just like when the disciples came in from walking, they washed their feet because there's no way to keep their feet from being dirty. You can't keep your life from having the world trying to attach itself to you all week long. And because the world is a defiling place, that means that the world and that filthiness becomes a barrier to God blessing you 
when you hear the Word of God or when you study the Word of God. And so there must be inward preparation. That's imperative. Putting aside all filthiness. But he goes on and he says, all that remains of wickedness, or as one translation says, the overgrowth of wickedness, or the excess of wickedness, or the overflow of wickedness, the debris that that piles up in our lives. You know how things pile up. And then what we do, and we're notorious for this in Baptist churches, you know, we let things pile up and pile up, especially in the years when I was growing up. And you'd have the old camp meeting revival, and the preacher would come in, and he'd sling sweat to the third row, and he'd take that King James Bible, and he'd flap it up in your face, and and he'd preach on hell, and he'd just breathe fire down your throat. And you'd come to the altar and say, Oh, God, I need to get right. I need to get right. I've let things go on so long. Listen, you're not supposed to wait to revival to get right. You're supposed to get right every day. But we have a tendency to let things pile up. You know, we get mad at somebody or we get our feelings hurting. We know the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your wrath, but by George, I'll just ask God to forgive me of that later. I'm going to go down mad, and I'm going to wake up mad, and I'm going to go to work mad, and I'm going to come home mad, and I'm going to take it out on everybody I see And then I'm going to sing, Oh, I love Jesus on Sunday. And you wonder why it doesn't work. Because this dirt is piling up and it's overflowing and it's overgrowing your life. Do you have a closet in your home that you have to open the door by faith? (laughs) You know which one I'm talking about? The one where you kind of grab the knob and you stand back because you're not sure what's going to jump out of you that you put in there and you knew it was going to stay neat and organized. We have a closet in our house we can't even walk in. It's just got stuff in it and we've been cleaning out and and the, the garbage people are wondering if they need to do more than once a week collection for us because we just, and it just keep, I'm going, where did this stuff come from? How did we get all this stuff? And of course, you know, when we bought it, we needed it. I needed to buy it. I needed to put it on a Visa card, pay 18% interest on it. And now I need to sell it in a yard sale for 50 cents. The wisdom of man. Every one of us have those kind of closets. you got those areas and that stuff that piles up. I, I told my mom and dad before they died, I said, look, y'all are not going to die of cancer. You're not going to die of a heart attack, but your attic is going to collapse on top of you. <laughs> Hurricane's not going to kill you, but the attic's going to fall in. I cannot tell you how many bags. I threw out 32 bags of magazines and newspapers out of my parents' house after they died. 32 lawn-sized garbage bags. Did they know what was in those magazines? No. Had they looked at them in years? No. They had my old Huckleberry Hound doll up in, the, up in the attic, and it had been up there so long, the rubber nose had melted on the thing. <laughs> Hurt my heart that they'd do that. <laughs> but it just piles up. And so what do you do? You go to Salvation Army, you go to Goodwill, you, you have a yard sale. Why? Because all this junk has accumulated in your life. Guess what? That happens with sin too. 
it can begin to accumulate. If you don't keep a current account with God, your sin will begin to accumulate. And every one of us have that problem. Some of us have a filing system at work, and other of us have a piling system. We just pile it up, and it just stays in a corner. And we hope that the pile will one day disappear at the rapture. We're, we're just trying to deal with it. Some of us have a do-it-now mentality, and some of us have a why-do-I-have-to-ever-do-it mentality. And sometimes that's an indication of how we deal with sin, is how quickly we do it. But John says in 1 John 1, 9, that God has provided a way where we don't have to let it pile up. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to pile up sin because, you see, there is no communion without cleansing. You can't have communion with God with a dirty heart. It breaks off your fellowship. It doesn't break your relationship, but it certainly breaks your fellowship. When, when your kids come in, do, do you say, I hope you say this. If you don't, please don't ask me to eat with you. But it, when your kids come in, do you ever say, now go over there and wash your hands before we eat? Why do you do that? Because their hands are contaminated. They're dirty. They've been playing with the dog. They've been playing with the cat. They've been picking up worms in the yard. They've been playing in the sandbox. They've been playing in the litter box. They've been playing wherever they've been playing. They're all over the place and their hands are dirty. You're saying, clean your hands up before you come to my table. Why? Because you don't want them to get the germs that are on their hands into their mouth. Now, why is it? that we think we can put our feet under the Lord's table with dirty hands. You see, when we come before the table of the Lord, He has set a feast before us in the Word of God, but we cannot fellowship with the Holy God at His table around His Word with unconfessed sin in our lives. And one of the main problems in the church today is that we have a lack of preparation in getting ready to hear what God has to say to us. Number two, There's a responsibility during the sermon. Now, before the sermon, we are to remove whatever's hindering us. During the sermon, we're to receive the Word with humility. Some of us go to church like we go to Ryan's or Golden Corral or wherever else we go that's a buffet. You know, we go along and we say, I want that, I don't want that, I want that. Give me some of that, I want some of that. Did you ever see that scene in, in the movie Vegas Vacation where he asked for the blue stuff on the buffet bar? He says, give me some of that blue stuff. And it's all runny and nasty looking. And he says, and don't hold back on it either. I'm going, I've, I've been in some buffets where I've eaten stuff that looked blue and weird. And, but, but you know what you do in a cafeteria line. You don't say, I want one of everything. You go and pick what you want. And sometimes we come to church like that. I'm going to come if he's preaching on this. I'm going to come if he talks about this. But... I'm about to shoot where you stand. But if he's in a stewardship series, I'm going to the beach. I don't want to hear that. Now, if he's talking about the rapture, I'm going to be there because I love to study prophecy. But if he's talking about money, then I don't think you ought to have to go to church and hear anybody talk about money. Uh Uh-oh. Some of you just turned me off right there because you think the rest of the sermon is going to be about money. 
It's not, but we do have armed guards at the door to take your wallet before you leave. (laughs) See, some of us go to church like it's a cafeteria line, and we can just pick and choose what we want. And if it really looks like it interests us, then we may go, and we may listen. Some of us come to church, and we sit in church thinking, boy, they really need to hear that. You know, you walk up to the preacher at the end and say, you told them, preacher, they needed it. Every one of them did. Not me, but every one of them did. They all needed it. Of course, you heard the story about the guy who went to church, and he was the only one at church, and the preacher was there. It was a blizzard. Nobody came but the preacher and this guy. And he was one of those guys that said every week, boy, they really needed to hear that. You told them, preacher. And so that day, it was just the preacher and this guy. Nobody else there. And so the preacher said, I got him today. Sermon was over. Preacher went to the back, thanked the man for coming. He said, boy, they should have been here today. They missed a good sermon. (laughs) You see, we have a responsibility to receive the word. Not to come to the word defensive, but we are to receive it. Look at the word receive means to embrace or to accept. It's a picture of putting out the welcome mat. God, I can't wait to hear what you say to me. In fact, let me give you a little more detailed definition of that word receive. It means to receive by deliberate and ready reception that which is offered. To receive by deliberate and ready reception that which is offered. And how are we to receive it? With meekness or mildness, gentleness, yieldedness. We're to want it. Not to come to church defensive, not to keep our guard up. And the reason why some people drop out of church, the reason why some people backslide, the reason why some people change churches is because they don't receive the Word. And they want to go where it's comfortable, where nobody challenges them, where the preacher preaches basically a spiritualized Reader's Digest but never says anything that cuts to the heart, never deals with sin, never talks about eternal consequences and our responsibilities before a holy God, never talks about lordship. You see, we are to be learners, and to be learners, we have to be listeners. Now, let me give you the test for receiving the word with meekness. Here's the test. It's very simple. Can you say, if I had gotten up this morning and said, I'm going to preach a sermon on Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, would your first thought have been, man, we could have stayed out of town another day. I can't believe he's going to preach on the prodigal son. I've, I've heard 35 sermons on the prodigal son. Or would your response have been, and this is the test of humility, Lord, I know this truth but show me today whether I'm applying this truth to my life. You see, most of you in this room know 1 John 1, 9, but the question is, are you living it? Are you living a life of confessing before God who is holy and righteous? See, it's not enough to know it. Is Lord, am I living it right now? Not did I live it six months ago. Not was I living in it a year ago. 
Not did I live this during the Refresh Conference, but am I living it right now? And what does he say to we receive with meekness? The implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, by that in your margin somewhere in your notes, I want you to write this. Because the first question somebody will have if you're thinking is, well, I thought he was writing to save people. Yes, he is. But the implanted word which is able to save your souls is able to save you from damnation, but it's also able to save you from damage. When the word is received with meekness, when it's put in our hearts, when it grows in our lives, then we begin to develop a mindset and a lifestyle and an attitude, and it saves us from some of the damages that the world, the flesh, and the devil are trying to impose on our lives. And you've got less to confess because you're living on a more consistent plane of fellowship and relationship with God. Ron Dunn used to tell the story about going to the cemetery and seeing the grave markers that said, Gone but not forgotten. But sadly, as he said, there are many in churches today who are forgotten but not gone. They've lost their testimony. They've lost their witness. They've lost their effectiveness. They've fallen by the wayside. And the highways of the churches and the hallways of the churches are littered with lives of people who did not receive the Word of God implanted and thus fell into sin, lost their testimony, lost their witness. Thirdly, you're responsible after the sermon. Before, we are to remove... During, we are to receive, and after the sermon, we are to reproduce, to reproduce. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Now, about eight or nine minutes, this sermon is going to be over, but it's not going to be done. It will not be done until you've done something with it. The sermon may be over, but it's never done until the church applies it and uses it and appropriates it to their lives on a daily basis. You see, you and I, if I sit and listen to a sermon, I'm responsible to reproduce what God has taught me out of that sermon this week in my life. That's my responsibility. It's not just I go out, get my car, and I forget about it until the next time I come to church. No, I'm responsible to reproduce something. And the problem with sermons is a lot of preaching dies inside the church. It never makes its way home. It never makes it to work. It never makes it to school. It never makes it into relationships. Tonight, I will preach my 1,000th sermon on Sundays in this church. That does not count prayer meetings that I've done. That doesn't count salt talks. That doesn't count leadership meetings. That doesn't count any preaching outside. That doesn't count the fact that for a while I preached the same sermon three times on Sunday morning. That's just 1,000 different sermons tonight. And I got to tell you, we've had a whole lot more hearing than we've had doing There's been a whole lot more hearing than there has been doing. Because if we were doing 
all that we've heard, not just from me, but in all the great men of God that have stood in this pulpit through the years, if we were doing what we have heard, we would be further along than we are. So there's a responsibility that you have. It's not just Mark's responsibility to lead the worship. It's not just the praise team and the orchestra's responsibility to sing and play. It's not just the choir's responsibility. It's not just the ushers and the greeters' responsibility, their jobs. It's all of our responsibility to go out and live what we've heard. Let me give you a thought that you need to hang on to. You, can, you cannot do the Word until you hear it. But you can hear the Word and not do it. You can't do the Word until you hear it. But you can hear it and not do it. And doesn't that happen a lot of times? We hear it, but we don't do it. So James gives this illustration in verses 23 through 25 of the unused mirror. And, and I don't have to go through that illustration before. We've talked about it a number of times, about how you look in the mirror and you see something and you're supposed to change. But there are two ways that you see yourself. Actually, three. One way you see yourself is in a photograph. And has anybody ever had a picture taken of themselves that they were just enamored and in awe? Oh, I love that picture of me. Blow it up. Big. No, we want to hide them. We want to stick them in a drawer somewhere. Do I really look like that? Did I have one eye up and one eye down when they took that picture? I mean, was I really looking that way? One way you see yourself is in a photograph. Another way you see yourself is in a mirror. Now, a photograph will take a picture of you at one moment and one point in your life. And then that's it. You'll look differently the next time. But a mirror shows you where you are right now. And if you look at the Word of God, the Word of God is many things in the Bible, but the Word of God is a mirror to show you where you are right now. But it's, So it's not only the mirror to reveal, the Word of God washes away sin, and the Word of God is the water to remove. So what God reveals, He's already provided the tools for you to remove what is not pleasant in the eyes of God in your life. Be doers of the word. That's a present middle imperative. It means I'm to continually do that. It's supposed to be a part of my life. Not deceiving yourself. That, that, that's a present middle participle, and here's what it means. Not to reason beyond the point, or to misjudge, or to miscalculate, or to have false reasoning. You see, when I look in the Word, and the Word says something to me, and I don't do it, I leave church miscalculating and misjudging how seriously God was trying to get my attention. Just because He didn't slap you upside the head doesn't mean He's not trying to get your attention. I got, this week I got uh, some boards in the mail. It doesn't sound very wonderful, but I have... Some long boards in the mail. They are boards from the house that Vance Havner grew up in. I have four long boards and a window out of that house that I, I got in the mail this week. And, and I, I told the staff, I said, I think I'm going to take one of those boards. It's a shorter one. And I'm going to call it the Havner board because he's a prophet. And, and just when I see somebody not paying attention, I'm just going to go up and go, what? <laughs> and then I can say, Havner did that. I did not do that. It's a board from his house. 
You see, I misjudge how seriously God takes sin when I don't do anything about it. I've deluded myself. I've deceived myself. I think I can get away with it. I think I can coast. I think I can live without paying attention to that. But we are not only to do, be doers of the Word, but we're to look intently. And that means to look down into something and to perceive exactly what is going on. It's the same word used when Peter and John looked into the empty tomb to see where the body of Jesus was. You know they covered every inch of that tomb trying to find out if for sure the body was gone. And so to look intently, I look down and I look into in order to perceive and discern. God wants us to look down and into the Word of God and perceive where we are and change what needs to be changed. The story is told about the turn of the 20th century when uh, there was a great Sunday school conference in Japan. Even the emperor attended the conference. They were so impressed with these people talking about Sunday school and talking about the Bible that the emperor sent a delegation to America to study Christianity. And so he sent this delegation into homes, into shops, and factories, and businesses, and churches to study this principle called Bible study and Sunday school to see if there was a way to use it in the culture in Japan. That delegation came back and they wrote a lengthy report, but let me give you the summary sentence of that report. Christianity is a wonderful system of ethics, but it does not work. They said that because they observed Christians who said one thing in Sunday school and lived another thing during the week. Now let me ask you, how many young men lives would have been spared in World War II had some Christians lived their faith when the Japanese came over to find out if Christianity really worked? There may not have been an Iwo Jima. There may not have been a Pearl Harbor. Maybe we could have changed the course of history if just the church would have done what the church is supposed to do, and that is live out what we hear on Sundays. If we'd just done it, maybe we wouldn't have lost so many lives. Maybe we would have changed the course of history. I think preachers sometimes can identify with Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 33, the Lord kind of pulls back the curtain and lets Ezekiel know what his congregation is thinking. In Ezekiel 33, 30, it says this, But as for you, son of man, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways of the house, speak to one another, each to his brother, saying, Come now and hear what the message is which comes forth from the Lord. In other words, these people, they love to go to church. I mean, they love the ritual. They love the tradition. They love to go to church. Verse 31. They come to hear you as people come and sit before you as my people and hear your words, but they do not do them. For they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth and their heart goes after their gain. Behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear your words, 
but they do not practice them. So when it comes to pass, as surely it will, then they will know that a prophet has been in their midst. You're responsible, not only for what you hear, but for what you would have heard if you had been listening. I know this. I know that if you're a member of this church, that this church has had solid preaching before I came, and it'll have solid preaching after I'm gone. And I know this. If you've been an attender faithfully in this church, you will be without excuse before God if you have wasted your life or if your life is wood, hay, and stubble because you've heard enough to be at a higher level than you're currently living. The question is, are you ever, ever going to do anything with what you've heard? Or is it just going to be, check the box, got the information, go about my business this week, live like I want to? Are you applying the Word of God? You see, I think Christianity works. I just think not many of us work at it. I think it works. I think it's the greatest life in the world. I just think the filthiness of this world and the wickedness of this world has a way of attaching itself to us and our flesh wants to rise up and we want to be in control and we want to be in charge and we want to run the ship and we want to drive the car and we want to say, God, I want to be a Christian and I want to get out of hell and be into heaven, but I just don't want to go there first class. I'll just ride back in coach. In fact, if I can just get there, I'll ride underneath with the dogs. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. If I go to heaven, I want to get there first class. I want to be there the best that I can be and the best that I could have been. And I want to go and not make, try to make any excuses before a holy God. While living in America, hearing what I hear, knowing what I know, I wasn't any better than I am. Because I'm going to tell you, there are parts of the world that if they'd heard just what you've heard today in Bible study and Sunday school, revival would break out. But some of you will walk out of here today no better, in fact, worse off than you were before you came because you've already decided, I'm not going to do anything with that. Your choice. But it's either to your profit or to your loss. You're the only one that can decide that. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, either you can come to Christ and know that he is the only way to salvation And it'll be to your profit that you'll have eternal life with Jesus Christ with a life-changing relationship with Him, repenting of your sin and knowing that He's the only way to be saved. Or you can walk out and possibly before the end of this day die and stand before God and Him say to you, I don't know you. If you're a Christian, you can walk out of here and live any way you want to this week. It'll be either to your profit or to your detriment. Christianity works, but you and I are going to have to leave this room and work on it for it to make sense and for it to be a witness in this world to what it's all about.
Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Gant. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.